every company should have a committee of site level staff that vets product that the CTO and everybody else is looking at. Push it down to them. Let them look at it. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. Hi, friends. Welcome to this week's episode of Marketing Home, Marketing You. I'm your host, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing, and for the entire month of March, I want to spotlight women and multifamily housing. My guest today is Lisa Trozine, and if you've been in the industry, you've either heard of her or you've been to one of her incredible sessions. It's really an honor for me to have this conversation with someone that has so much experience in our industry. Lisa has the ability to start some of the most thought-provoking conversations on social media. Her sessions are packed with a punch. There's always actionable items. I love that. It's not fluff. And she has a way of staying current with trends and even forecasting what's coming up. So I was honored to have this conversation. Now, for those of you, I've shared that I want this podcast to be a way to make mentorship accessible for all of us. You may not be able to sit and have an hour-long conversation with Lisa, but by listening to this podcast, you can learn from the wisdom of her career that has spanned many, many years. She has a lot of experience. She's seen a lot of things from both sides. She understands operations. She understands what the on-site teams are going through. And just by tuning in and hearing it, you can walk away with so many nuggets. So consider this a one-on-one mentorship with Lisa Trozine. All right, guys, let's get to this conversation. And I think you're going to love it as much as I did. Lisa, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. This is long overdue, but I knew that the month of March where we're featuring women in multifamily would be the perfect opportunity. So thank you for saying yes. Oh, my pleasure. Sorry it took so long for us to finally pull this together. No, this is great. And I think what, you know, there's so many things I want to dig into today, but one of my questions that I've been so curious about is, where for you do passion and proficiency come together in your career? So what you love and what you're really good at. I am really, really good at sales. Okay. Um, and I think I've been good at sales since I was a little kid. I think I was a born salesman because I love to talk. Anybody you talk to will say that about me. They're like, well, she ever shut up. I love to talk. And I love meeting new people and finding out what they love. And when you meet new people and you find out what they love and you get into that groove, you just, it, you, you know, you just kind of say, oh man, we could have been friends. We should have met 30 years ago. We could have been best friends then. So that goes really well with educating people because educating people is a passion. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, I graduated from college with a teaching degree. There were no teaching jobs available at the time. I mean, none. And I was in the real estate industry and I said, you know what? I could teach in the real estate industry someday. You know, I really, really loved multifamily real estate. I did development. I did some commercial. I did a little bit of everything. But I said, you know, my goal was to become a consultant and an educator. And that's how my kind of my passion and my proficiency got together. The other thing is I love to read. I probably read, like my kids will say, 
Mommy reads more than anybody I know. Um, I never go anywhere without my, I don't, I don't use a Kindle anymore. I just use my little iPad, but I have my uh-huh. Kindle app on there. I probably read, if I'm not researching a new class or, you know, doing some project around the house, I probably read as many as five books a week. Like right now I'm reading. Okay. The Influence, the influence Mindset. <laughs> um, you know, I've got my, I've got my little iPad here for my other books. I've got shelves and shelves and shelves of books. And um, I love to take what I read and put it into my classes because, you know, if you get up there in a room full of people and you tell them that if they exhibit this behavior, they'll get this result. You don't want them to think, oh, that's something she came up this morning in the shower and she hasn't tested it. No, I can go back and I can tell you that this is a theory that was proven by Dr. Robert Cialdini, uh, professor emeritus at Arizona State University, who is the world's leading authority on influencing behavior. For instance, uh, I took his class in Arizona a few years ago. And one of the things that's so interesting, like he talks about his role as a hostage negotiator. And he said the first thing he does when he gets called in to a hostage situation, he says, how long has it been since those people had food? Because he knows that people who are hungry are not going to pay attention. They're going to be crankier. It's going to be harder to work with them. So he makes sure that in a hostage situation, food gets delivered. And it's something that a lot of us probably wouldn't think about, but you know, if, if somebody comes into your office and it's right before lunchtime and they're looking for an apartment, you can say to them, hey, have you had lunch yet? You know what? Let me grab you a couple of snacks. Uh, what, can I get you a soda? Can I get you a bottle of water? They're going to think a lot more clearly if their brain and their body have been fed than if they're really anxious and they got to eat or work out a deal with a nearby restaurant where you give them a discount card. Say, you know what? Go there, have lunch on us, come back. Let's talk about it. Let's take a tour. Um, I've done that. That's been very successful. Uh, You just have to know where people are coming from, where stress, you know, resonates in their life. And when you do research, you will find a lot of that. For instance, one of the things that Dr. Cialdini found, and I, I put this in practice right away. We'll get right back to our conversation, but before we do, I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't already, go to sproutmonthly.com. There you can subscribe to our monthly digital magazine and make sure you subscribe your team also. This will give them an endless supply of ideas for the upcoming two months for their marketing, their resident events, their retention, social media, plus all these conversations that we have on the podcast. You'll also see these interviews inside of the magazines too. So make sure you go to sproutmonthly.com. You'll also get access to tons of free resources. All right, let's get back to it. My client was having a high number of no-shows from appointments that were being set, like 75% no-shows. So I thought, I know Dr. Cialdini will have the answer. And he did. He had done an experiment with a uh, restaurant group because they were having people make reservations and not show up. So all they did was make one little change when they were taking the reservation. They asked the customer, if you're unable to make the reservation, will you please contact us and let us know? Their no-shows dropped tremendously. My client went from 75% no-shows to 90% arrivals. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and, and people say, well, that was a restaurant. It's the same thing. It's a reservation. You're making a commitment to go somewhere. And when you ask them to make that personal commitment to let you know if they're going to show up, they feel more obligated. And we found also that when people would call us to say they weren't going to make it, they didn't just say, I'm not going to make it. They would say, and can I reschedule? 
So it was, it was just one little sentence that we embedded in there and it made a world of difference. And so you can't just say, oh, well, that's not industry specific. So that doesn't apply. I get 95% of my techniques that I practice out in the field, or I have somebody practice them for me and report back to me from non-industry sources. So you've always got to be reading and watching and learning. Your love of learning really comes through and it comes through in your sessions. Um, you know, first of all, I have to say, I love the food idea my mother-in-law, when I got married 21 years ago, she said to me, one piece of advice, always carry snacks. She's like, he's such a good guy, but if he's hungry, he turns into a different person. And so I love the research. So my mother-in-law was right. And I do always carry snacks. But I want to get back to something that um, was my personal experience. Do you know, when I first started in the industry, I shared this with you. I attended a lot of different sessions. I was trying to kind of break into the speaker circuit and almost felt a little overwhelmed of like, how am I going to carve my, my niche? And when I left your session, and I've been to many of your sessions, I felt like there was so much tangible advice. Like it felt very solid and research backed and it was still fun, but I didn't leave like I went to a comedy show. I left like I went to an education session with ideas that I could put in place, you know, like the next day. So let me ask you that. What is your process for researching and preparing for a session? You kind of gave us a little insight by telling us about your love, but what do you, what do you do? A lot of times I will see something and that will inspire me to write a class. Like I was watching Shark Tank. And Shark Tank has kind of jumped the shark for me. I hate to say it because now when everybody comes in to do their product, they're all gimmicky and they do uh -huh. these, it, it was so much better when they would go in and they would have their personality out there and you really saw the person. So it's kind of, to me, there's not as much value in that show as there used to be. But I remember watching the show one night and there was a woman on there, she was selling designer maternity gowns, all right? Now, my children are adopted. I've never given birth. I have no idea what it's like to give birth. But I asked my friends I, later, I said, after you have a baby, do you want to change your gown into like some designer looking gowns? So you look great in your pictures. And they're like, no. <laughs> that sounds That's terrible. This thing from your mind, you know, you're with your baby and you're with your partner and, and your family. And you're just, it's this moment. And the last thing you feel is like, does my hair look good? Does my gown look good? You know, do I have lipstick on my teeth? Cause you don't have any lipstick on. Um, so I'm watching this woman talk about these designer return accounts. And that question I asked my friends was later, but she, all the sharks and she's really annoying. And all the sharks are like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. So the last shark left is Barbara Corcoran. And Barbara's, and the woman looks at her, she goes, Barbara, you're my last hope. And Barbara goes, okay. I like the concept, but this is what you would have to do. And she gives her like three things. And the woman was really stubborn. She was, she was, she was like many entrepreneurs. She was so married to her idea that she loved the sound of her own voice more than anything in the world. And she wasn't about to take any suggestions. And I see that a lot in my consulting. <laughs> and so Barbara gives her the suggestions and the woman goes, no, I'm not going to do it. And so Barbara goes, Barbara goes, okay, you won't take, she said, I'm out and I'll give you the reasons why she said, you won't take my suggestions da, 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 da. she said and i don't like the idea of having to work with you yeah. and it was like an aha moment so i yelled at my husband like oh stop stop it <laughs> you know, get through it. Stop it. i said rewind it 
So he rewinds it. He rewinds, it, and I'm and I'm writing down exactly what she said, word for word. For because for me that was like to overuse. Like if you're playing consultant bingo, here's the word. It was an epiphany for me. Uh huh. said it was a watershed moment. Um, I'm like likability has so much to do with whether or not people buy your product. So I wrote a whole class on that um, called Like You Like Me. Because if you if you like me and I like you, we're gonna work well together. If we don't like each other, even if you like my apartments, chances are you're not gonna rent from me because you know you're gonna be stuck with me in that leasing office for probably a year if I'm still there. So you can actually make yourself more likable. There's an entire science to it. So that class teaches you how to be more likable. Wow. So I kind of want to segue because you have obviously done many things right in your career. I think when you have, you know, there's people that have longevity, but they don't have, they're, they're not still connected in the same way. Um, I find that you have longevity, but you're always bringing new ideas and innovations and you're always connected to the pulse of multifamily. What do you attribute to your success? I'm always looking at the pain points for the renter and the pain points for the staff. But you have to look at it. You can't just look at it with a generic overview. If you want to do something that's going to revolutionize the industry, you've got to look at it a lot more than through this tiny little Google lens that you right. put together. Um, so I'm always, I'm always listening to horror stories and my daughter's both rent. So I've learned a lot from their experiences. You look at the different softwares and the different products and different people that are out there. And you say, you know, this has legs, this could work. This one, you know, I mean, I've told people on the phone, I'll, I'll sit through a demo and I'll say, you know what? You're not ready yet. I, I can't in good conscience recommend you to anyone. You've got a great idea. You're, if you've launched it already, your clients that you've launched to are probably suffering because you're making some mistakes and come back to me in two years and let me look at it again. Yeah. Sometimes they're not ready, but they're so excited about their product. So you've just got to always be looking at what's out there and who's doing what and, and listen to the management company people and listen to the people on site. The site people really know it more than anything. They really do. And one of the problems our industry has is the prop tech companies are up here and they call on the CTOs and the CIOs and the CMOs and the CO Bodobo, whatever. <laughs> There's so many C jobs out there now. And those people buy it and they push it down to the regionals and then the regionals push it to the sites and the sites didn't get the sell and don't understand why they're supposed to use it. So by the time it gets deployed, it doesn't work because the site doesn't understand how it works. So the site calls their regional and says, I hate this product. It doesn't work. I'm not going to use it. And then you have a failure. Maybe. The site staff needs to be, you know, every company should have a committee of site level staff that vets product that the CTO and everybody else is looking at, push it down to them, let them look at it. I'm not talking about a beta. I'm yeah. talking about looking at it at first blush. Is this worth it? If you're going to end up with six different logins, no, it's not worth it to anybody. That's such a good point because initially, even when we started, we found that we'd sell to, you know, executive level or even the regional and then the buy-in wouldn't happen from the site. And eventually you would have it 
you know, fizzle out. And so I think, you know, year three, we made a shift and we actually, because of our price point, went straight to the property manager. And what we found is that when the property manager bought in and was the one selling it to their regional or their C-suite level, we, it would stay for, I mean, years, like we've had yeah, clients they're for years. They're the ones that are bought into it. So I love that you bring that up. And it sounds like with your career, it's been a lot about listening, problem solving, finding the nuances of problems. And then I also appreciate that you're very truthful. So I've seen that even in, in sessions or <laughs> okay, in not posts. everybody calls it truthful. <laughs> not everybody calls it truthful. <laughs> what do they call it? <laughs> Direct. Well, I find that it's very refreshing because you know, I feel that if you share something, I know that it's been vetted and that you've given it, you know, your, your honest feedback. So how do you keep that? How do you keep that balance when, you know, you're someone that sponsors look to vendors look to, how do you keep your authenticity in check? Well, I'm not going to put my name behind a product and advise a product unless I believe that the product is a good product. And I have prop tech people coming to me all the time. Will you look at this? Will you go on our advisory board? Will you help us launch? Will you help us look at this? And if I don't think that, the, like the, the one product I said, it's not ready. Right. It's absolutely not ready. Um, I won't, I won't play. I, I won't play. Yeah. I'll say, you know what? I, I good luck. <laughs> You know, good luck. Um, but there are some people who, if they're behind a product, I know the products are like Terry Slattery. Terry Slattery has been in the industry for so long. He's he's an he's an industry icon. He tried to retire. That lasted, I think, I think it was shorter than Brady's retirement. Yeah, he's the and, he's the multifamily Tom Brady at this point. Yeah, he is. And you know, he was the guy kind of behind Checkpoint ID. Checkpoint ID is an amazing product. It was uh, purchased by MRI. It's done great. And Terry was a, a part of the driving force behind that. Terry doesn't sign on to products unless they're really good. So, and I even said something today, Terry had promoted something or was talking about something on either LinkedIn or Facebook or something. And I said, all I need to know about this product is that Terry Slattery is behind it. And to me, that is validation. Yeah you know, he's, he's got a great reputation and I know he gets approached. I'm, I'm guessing, I can't say, I know, I'm guessing he gets approached a lot. And if he says it's good, then I'm, I bet it's good. Cause he's, he's, he's Terry Slattery. Yeah, <laughs> you know I, I mean? worked for him too. So I, 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 yeah, I have personal experience with how he's built a brand and really led it for rent for us yeah. into many great things. So let's go into personal brand then. I mean, we're talking about your reputation as part of that personal branding is a topic that everyone's talking about in 2023. What does personal branding mean to you and how do you think people can do it well? You know, I talk a lot in my leasing classes, I talk a lot about personal branding. It's really the heart and soul of you because as a, as a leasing professional or as a regional manager or as Barbara Sabona or Terry Slattery, it doesn't matter who you work for, you are a brand. Mm -hmm. And People are going to look at the way you do things and the way you hold yourself and the way you carry yourself and the way you do business. And like, if I were to go back to leasing, it's so funny. Um, Kate Good, she's my business partner and a, and a dear, dear friend of mine. We were talking about that. If we were to go back on site, we both would do something like always wear pearls, always wear your pearls. signature. We would have a signature look. And I remember talking to a leasing professional when COVID hit and she said, I'm wearing a, a Disney face mask every day. She goes, because, you know, now they're only seeing this much of my face. She said, I want them to say, 
well, I don't remember her name, but I worked with her and she had, she had a Minnie Mouse mask on or she had a Goofy mask or she had a, you know, uh, whatever mask on. I, I would probably take it to that next level if I were on site, just because I know they're going to different properties and that's an important piece. I would probably do that. And Kate and I were, like I said, we were both yeah. talking about kind of doing that. Um, I don't think we have to do that now at this point where you, myself, Terry, people like that are in our careers, but you know, I would never go into a session unprepared. Um, and also I don't, I don't train on topics that I don't have a passion for. I will never forget this ever forget this. Um, years ago, Gables, who is an amazing property management company, reached out to me and wanted me to teach a class on a topic that I had absolutely no passion about none. And instead of saying, sure, I'll write that class and I'll deliver it. I just said to them, you know, no, <laughs> I have no passion on this topic. I don't want to do it. I, you can find so many people who are so much better than me at teaching this topic. They were like astonished. They said, you're turning us down. And I said, yeah, I've always, I had always wanted to speak at a Gables event. I mean, seriously, it was on my, if I had a vision board, it was on there, but I've never had a vision board. So it really wasn't on there, but you know what I mean? Um, but it wasn't the best thing for them. Right. So I, I, for me, my brand is to stay true to who I am. I don't, I don't go to industry events and drink a lot. You'll never, ever see me doing that. It's just not something that I do. Uh, people were talking about dry January and I said, I've had dry November, December. And I don't, if people want to drink, that's fine. It's just not, it's not your thing. It's not my thing. I'm not going to go to an industry party and stay till three o'clock in the morning and have somebody say, oh, you were so much fun because you were so wasted. You're never going to hear that about me because um, that's not who I am. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to have fun. Um, when I teach my classes, like I went to visit a client one day during um, COVID. Uh, they were, I mean, they were reopen, but they, the owner said, can you just stop by, trip the staff? They're kind of suffering a little bit. And they said, but you have to wear a mask. And I said, no, of course I'll wear a mask. I have no problem with that. So I went to the property, I went in and this was the mask I wore. <laughs> That's awesome. It was just fun. So I don't mind making a complete and utter idiot of myself. I have no problem with that. So your but other, brand people, just, just, other people that doesn't match who they are. So what you're saying is it really just has to align with who you really are. Not yeah. trying to be somebody that you're not. I love what you just brought up about you and Kate's conversation about the pearls. Cause I still think like now on social media, it's like, if you're doing, you know, a TikTok or a reel as a leasing professional for your community, I do think there's really cool ways like you're talking about to just add that little thing that says, man, that that's a memorable piece because they yeah. always sign off this way or they end their emails this way, or they do that. So I think that's a really kind of get the creative juices flowing there. Like most of my clients know that I am a huge Packer fan. So when I do, excuse me, when I do webinars, usually my Packer Build-A-Bear comes in or, hold on, <laughs> my Packer Lawn Gnome comes in <laughs> or my, oh, just a second, my Cheesehead Cowboy Hat comes nice. up. The um, whole works, huh? Yeah. And even like in my LinkedIn profile, it says, uh, 
DHPF. No one has asked me what DHPF. I was literally going to email you when I grabbed it. I'm like, what is diehard Packers fan? I feel like I just won a prize. (laughs) And diehard Packer fans know what DHPF is. But I put that in my LinkedIn profile years ago. No, I'm sure people think it's some professional designation that I have. It's not. It's a self-designation that I'm a diehard Packer fan. (laughs) And my my LinkedIn bio says I'm a mom, I'm a dog lover. Yeah, so I think it's, but I think for the person that does see it and does connect, that's a cool way to still form that connection, right? So that's, that's awesome. Okay, so let's ask, let's talk a little bit more about this online leasing training, not just online, but how can someone, what do you see the trends for education conferences or places that can improve to make conferences better or education events better? The CEO panel needs to die. Okay. As people are so sick of the CEO panel, the four-person panel just kind of needs to go away. I've seen a lot of st- uh, statistics on that, that people do yeah. not love the four-person panel because they don't feel they get to dig in of any substance on anything. No. And, and unfortunately, sometimes the CEO panels, a lot of people in the audience, they're talking about stuff that the people in the audience are not going to either have an interest in or relate to. Um, but if you got the CEO panel, like a different CEO panel would be, how did you start in this industry? Right. What, what's your best advice to someone who wants to become CEO? It's not usually that it's usually like, how is your company suffering through this turbulent economy? And how are you cutting expenses and raising rents? I mean, I think we need to be more human Mm -hmm. with a lot of our sessions. And I'm not just talking about wellness. Um, You know, what, for instance, you know, what did you do that you got, you had to take over a property that was struggling? What's the first thing you did? I remember a friend of mine, I can't remember I can't remember. I, I think she was probably an acquaintance. I, this story is old, so I apologize. I don't have all the pieces of the names and everything, but a, an industry person had to take over a property and the delinquency list was huge. So the first thing she did was she went to Goodwill or St. Vincent de Paul or somewhere, and she bought a ton of household items very cheaply and she had them put on the curb. So it looked like they had done a forcible. Wow. Did her collections improve? Because people realize that is such a smart idea. It is. People realize there's a new sheriff in town and she ain't screwing around. She's going to evict you and put your stuff on the street. That is brilliant. You know, I would love to just get five site managers who their bosses say these people can collect better than anybody I know. This person motivates her staff better than anyone knows. This gentleman you know, has the top, most tip-top maintenance and housekeeping and porter staff in the world. I would love to see yeah. that at a national level. That would be and I don't, think, I don't think that's the fault of NAI. I don't think anybody's ever submitted that. Um, for years, I've always submitted a session that I do by myself. But this year, for the first time, I submitted a session with another person because I've decided that going forward, my goal is going to be to partner with not more than one person, but my story isn't that interesting. I don't think it's interesting to me and I can get a lot of information out, but I think if I bring in another point of view, it's going to make people think harder. Like I'm speaking with Suzanne Hopson. I love y'all's title. Oh my gosh. It's so good. 
WTF. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw that and I was like, why didn't I think of that? It's so good. <laughs> I was so excited when I came up with that test. So I ran it by Suzanne and I think there was the tiniest hesitation on her part. And I went into chat GPT yesterday and I was playing with seminar titles. Have you done chat GPT? I've started to do it too. Yeah. Okay. So I went in there and I said, what are some good seminar titles with WTF in them? WTF is obscene and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't play with me. <laughs> well, let me tell you something on a sidebar, since I know you'll love this. I was reading from someone that had a world selling book and he was talking about how he kept lists of titles of books that all sold over like 10 million copies. And all of them had one of those type of factors. Like, it's just that it's a short enough title that catches the attention that seems like it should not be in the title for some reason. And I loved the research behind that because it was like, that's exactly this. You got to stop and make somebody just like stop first to even notice. And when I read y'all's title, I was like, this is a showstopper. Then you're like, what is it? So you get them past the first phase. What is it? And then you see that it's you and Suzanne and both great value. And then people are going to go. What's the future? Yeah. It's not what's the, you know what, it's what's, right. the, future. what's the future of leasing, right? Yeah. And Susanna is going to take the side of centralized leasing. And I'm going to take the side of still having people at the properties. Right. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to discuss it. And I see this. Are you going to duke it out? Cause like there was a slight, like little, <laughs> well, you know, we're, and I, I warned Suzanne, I said, I am not going to be easy to deal with because I'm used to speaking alone. So I'm going to be really hard on you, on your graphics, on your design, on your fonts. You know, I'm, I'm going to be tough on you. Um, she's like, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> hey, that's a secret little thing that a lot of people don't know for both of us that have been in the industry, pairing up with somebody to speak. It's like traveling with someone. You find out real quick if you're ever going to do it again. And I've had good experiences and I've had some tough ones. So I know now I got to have Suzanne on our podcast. It was our number one most downloaded podcast last year. And so I think Which you're not going to have a problem. Yeah. Which one was it? It was with Suzanne on centralized leasing. Oh. <laughs> so you know, one of the questions that I'd like to ask, kind of talking about what we want to see more in the value to me, I think one of the things that our industry misses, and I want to put a little like pin on it is when someone has been in our industry for so long, rather than us viewing it as like a negative, I think that there's so much value from it. You know, every other culture views, you know, the ability to go to someone and be an apprentice under them as like a gift. And we don't have that so much here in our culture. For me, just knowing that you've been through so many experiences and you're still so up to date with what's going on, I would love to know what advice would you give to an operations, that C-suite or regional level, based on what you're hearing from their on-site teams, like that, I wish you just could hear what your people are saying. The executive team needs to lift a page out of the Camden playbook. And Camden does a lot of things right. And I admire a lot of what they do. Christy Simonette is one of my idols in the multifamily industry. She's brilliant. Uh, she's beautiful. She's smart. She's just an incredible person, really a, a huge wealth of knowledge. So the fact that Camden does this is no surprise. They require their executives to go work on site once a year. I love it. And they should work on site during the tough days, you know, and even though a lot of our rents are still coming in electronically, the first of the month is still a busy time. So get them in there when it's tough. I remember John Salind, who used to work for Camden. I remember he, he posted on LinkedIn. He said, wow, 
He said, I can't believe how, how different keys are these days than they used to be when I worked on site. He said, everything is so different. So I, I, I really like seeing executives and not when you call up and you say, I'm coming to do an inspection. I mean, I remember having the son of the CEO come in and do my property inspection. He goes, I can't find anything wrong with your property. And I can't leave until I find something wrong. So he went into my clubhouse kitchen and he opened a drawer and he said, this drawer is disorganized. So I got my right up from the visit back and I'd gotten like, you know, five stars and everything. It said notes, kitchen drawer disorganized. I was oh, like, man. really, really don't do that to your site staff. You know what I mean? That's insane. Well, and how quickly be you'll there, be go and don't just spend a day there, spend days there, go along on the tour, sit in on the resident conversations. You know, you, a dashboard doesn't tell you what happens at a property you know, I, I have a class now called Why You Gotta Be So Mean. And at the beginning of the class, I let everybody yell at the top of their lungs, why you gotta be so mean? Because <laughs> I've had them, I say, please raise your hand if you've been yelled at by a resident in the last six months. Every hand goes up. Then I go five months, four months, three months, two months, one month. Everybody in the room has been yelled at. Our executives need to go on site and see that happen and see what they go through. And, and big props to Camden for requiring every executive uh, to do that. That is so cool. I love that advice. I think that that's a way to stay connected. And like you said, it's like the difference between somebody describing a hamburger to you and you actually eating the hamburger and you know, all the good and the bad about it. So let's flip it. What okay. advice would you give onsite team based? You get to talk to a lot of the executive levels. What are some things that you would tell the onsite teams that the executives might want them to know? One of the things that I see a lot when it comes to me from the site staff, it's usually frustration. Um, I've been trying to get this changed, get this fixed, get this adjusted for months. Nobody's listening to me. What should I do? And then a lot of them get frustrated and quit. They'll go to another property. They'll go somewhere else because they feel like no one is listening to them. And I said, you know what? Just be a squeaky wheel. Keep being a squeaky wheel. Keep bringing the squeaky wheel. You know, communication is the root of 99% of problems. And you've got to make sure that that communication level between corporate and onsite stays clean and stays clear. And site level staff, don't give up. Don't give up. You will. And it's not that you're not important, that you're not heard. Sometimes it's that the communication gets busted up into little pieces along the way or your message isn't getting to the right person. Don't give up. And I will tell you this, before your next review, get online, look at what the salary ranges are for your position. Look at what bonuses are being paid for your position in your market. And when you go to that review, you lay out what your expectations are for a salary and you lay out your successes. If you can say, you know, I, I, uh, I leased 752 apartments in the last two years or whatever it was. Um, I did this, I did that, you know, you list those successes and those strengths and that manager or that supervisor that's doing your review is a going to be really impressed with your abilities and B they're going to be prepared that you, they're going to be impressed that you prepared for the review and know your worth. Love it. Advocate for yourself. And I love the idea of keeping a track, you know, every week, what did you do so that you have this wealth of 
you know, a stack. It's like, instead of just saying it, you really have this data to showcase it. That's great advice, Lisa. So I just want to wrap up because, you know, you have, you teach on leasing. I feel like you have such a unique perspective. So <laughs> you're having to hand this note card to a brand new leasing professional, and it has no more than three sentences on it. What advice are you giving them? So this is going to test your conciseness, three sentences three or less. Sentences are three words. You, I said three sentences, but if you want to really t- t- make it tough, but I think three sentences, it's a new leasing agent. What do they need to know? Continuously shop your comps. Okay. Own an amazing pair of flat shoes. Love it. Take your lunch. Beautiful. Take your lunch hour. So is there anything else you want to leave us with as we wrap up this great conversation? Am I forgetting anything? I know. I think we covered like A to Z, but we could probably do another hour. (laughs) But people might be done with us by then. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me why I don't do a lot of podcasts. This is only the second one I've done. Wow. Okay. Um, and I typically say no, uh, I don't do a lot of them because with the exception of yours and Mike Brewers, when I look at a lot of them, people are all interviewing each other and you're not going to learn by interviewing each other all the time interview the barista at Starbucks who, you know, and I'm not saying do a, I'm not, I'm not saying do your own podcast. I'm saying, you know, if you want to learn, talk to the barista at Starbucks and say, how do you maintain, maintain such a happy attitude all the time? Um, ask the Uber Eats driver if this is a side gig or their full-time gig and then ask why. Um, talk to people and ask them how they got into their business and what they like the best out of it and what they don't like the best out of it. I remember one of the greatest lessons I ever learned in my life. And I teach this in one of my classes was something that my dad told me today is my dad's birthday, by the way. I think he's been gone now about five years. And I remember one day he was a veterinarian. And I remember I was in his clinic with him because I used to hang out with him. I was a daddy's girl. And I used to hang out with him when he was having office hours. And I remember a woman came in with a pet and she was just beside herself because the pet was ill. And you have dogs, don't you, Barbara? I have dogs and pigs and chickens and everything. Okay. Well, when your pet or your animal gets sick, you, they can't, they can't, it does, it hurts. It hurts right here because they can't tell you what's wrong and what's bothering them. And a woman came in and she was just a wreck. And I had actually taken a call earlier from someone from my dad. Their pig had swallowed a button and it was choking to death. And they were, they were horrified. And I, and, and, and so I, I talked to them on the phone. I got my dad on the phone. You know, they, he'd gotten them through, he'd gotten the, the pig to expel the button, everything else. But I remember I said to him, how do you treat these animals when these people come in and they're so distraught and they're not listening to you? You know, they're, they're, they're holding their pets so tightly. And my dad has to, you know, extricate the pet from them and, and examine the pet and the the whole while the person's a lot of times they're, they're sobbing. They're just beside themselves. He said, I have two patients. I have the pet and I have the person. And until I can get the person to calm down, I can't treat the pet. 
he said, so, and what, and I watched him and what he would do is like, if you came in with your dog and you're standing and you got the dog up on the table, he's going to start petting the dog while he talks to you and calming the dog down and looking in the dog's eyes and, and just checking, you know, unless it's an emergency, if it's just the dog is sick or, you know, uh, if it's an emergency, he's going to take the dog and go back into the emergency part of the clinic, but he's calming the dog. And while he's calming the dog, you're calming down. Cause and you see calm- that he loves your pet as like, he's showing that affection for what right, you love. And he's saying to you, Barbara, tell me what's wrong. He, he's not saying, tell me what's wrong. What happened? When did this start? He's like, when did this start? Okay. And what is, and he's got this calming voice and this calming demeanor and he's petting the animal and the animal is calming down because the animal takes your attention from you. And as you calm down, the animal comes down. And then as soon as you get calmed down, my dad can get the real story out of you. And in the meantime, he started the examination. And then he can tell you, he'll say, well, I need to take the animal in the back. I've got to do some x-rays. So can you wait out? Can you wait out in the, in the waiting room? It'll, I'll be just a minute. You know, he gets you calm and then the animal calms down and then you will actually listen to what he has to say. And you will be able to take the pet home and do the aftercare for the pet, or you'll be able to leave the pet overnight or whatever it is. But he said, I have two patients. So I teach that you have your customer and your customer's problem. You can't solve your customer's problem until you calm your customer down. It's beautiful. So it's, it's customer first, problem second. I also just love how like, I mean, just this is a sidebar, but like how you are, you were so animated this entire interview. And then you start talking about your dad and like this calm energy, which I assume he had literally just came over you so I feel like I know a little piece of him just from what you shared so thank you for that and I think that's a beautiful way for everyone to you know end this session of learning from not just the greats in our industry but everybody in between and outside of our industry too so Lisa you've inspired me to really continue to have an appreciation for people because I think you do that at a really high level and just showing what is possible to all of those women, men, anyone just starting in our industry to see that you literally can do anything. So thank you for being such an incredible example and for coming on my podcast. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to hold that over some of my other colleagues if I can. (laughs) No, this has been a great conversation and I can't wait till we get to spend a little bit of time in person too. All right. And are we going to talk about stretching? Well, okay, before we wrap, so people can hear, tell me about the stretch lab. As you get older, you lose flexibility. And I started researching stretch, you know me, I had to research it. So I started researching, I started researching stretch labs and it's assisted stretching. And it is incredible the amount of energy and the increased flexibility I've gotten since I started going. They had a, they had a deal. They had a one hour stretch for $39. I'm like, why not? And I went in and I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And, and, and they just, they stretch you, you know, they move your arms, they move your legs, they, they twist you all over the place. They stretch your neck, they stretch your back. Um, they even have people who fall asleep while they're stretching them, which is amazing to me because I find it rather painful. But, um, but you've noticed a, an increase in your health, right? In flexibility huge, and everything. Huge increase in my health. And since I started going, I've lost 16 pounds. That is amazing. I think it's, it's gotten your lymphatic system moving. Yeah, I, well, it got me moving and I can do more 
than I used to do. Whereas before, if I didn't have the full range of motion, I couldn't do certain exercises. Now I've increased my range of motion so I can do so many more things as far as strength training with weights and things like that, that I couldn't do before that I, I've increased my ability and I've, I've lost 16 pounds. That is something to celebrate. I, after you sent me that, I researched it. There's one not too far from me. So I'm going to try it. I'm going to do the first one where it's like one-on-one for sure. Cause I don't think I want to do group stretching. Oh, I don't do group stretching. I do, <laughs> I do one-on-one and I have my, I have my stretch every Friday at four o'clock and and oh, by the way, if you're a property manager and you're watching this, they do pop-up events and they will come to your property and do a pop-up. What an awesome thing. So are we ending this podcast with you like doing some weird like stretch motion? I don't know, but I couldn't do, I couldn't do this a while ago. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, friends, this has been one of the most interesting podcasts I've ever recorded. A chicken came out, a hat, like all sorts of things. And we talked about stretching and everything in between. So Lisa, let's wrap it up and let's do it again sometime. Okay, thanks, Barbara. Bye. Bye.